Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you that it does apply to every life in here tonight. Lord, I just thank you that we're all here by divine appointment, that nothing happens by chance in your kingdom. So we ask, Lord, that tonight, that, Lord, you would meet us here, that we would be here with our ears wide open, Lord, just ready to receive from you. And Lord, we ask that you would be our teacher, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would minister to us, Father, through your word. Lord, we thank you again for your love and your grace. We just pray that you would be glorified and just that we become more like you through our time in your word tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Leviticus, uh, I titled the message tonight, Priestly Regulations and Provisions. And this chapter, it's Moses is being given the, the word from God to speak to the priest about the, the provision that God's going to give them from the sacrifices and how to, to distribute the sacrifices. Now, the first six chapters, this is the last one, by the way, of all the different sacrifices. And I'll tell you what, Leviticus has been great. Because as we go through Leviticus, we see a very clear picture of Jesus Christ. I've talked about the fact, I think it's a book that is very often avoided by most people. They don't know, you know, if you're going to teach a topical study, you're probably not going to Leviticus, okay? If you're going to bounce around through the Bible, it's probably a book you won't get within two books of, right? And, and that's what's great about Leviticus, though, is we see that it still applies to our lives today, and it's a great book. As we've seen in, in the uh, last six weeks, that each of the sacrifices instituted by God were extremely important to God. They reveal man's desperate need for atonement. They show us how to have access to God. It showed us the awfulness of sin. I'm going to go quickly through all the six uh, the different sacrifices that we looked at so far. First of all was the burnt offering. And if you guys remember that, the burnt offering was brutal. It was a picture of Christ's complete and total submission to the will of the Father, as well as the redemptive work that he was going to do on the cross. Remember that it was the, they brought in the herd, and if, it, it all depended on how much money you had, how, how wealthy you were, determined what you would bring as an offering. And if you were wealthy or, or fairly wealthy, you would bring in either a bull or an ox. If you had less money, you brought in either a sheep or a goat, and if less than that, then you would bring in uh, a bird of some type. But what would happen is that they would bring these animals in, and the first thing they would do is they would bring it to the temple, and remember again, I told you that this is a very bloody book. The word blood is in, in the book of Leviticus 88 times, and, and the reason that it's bloody, and the reason a lot of people don't like it, they steer clear of it, is because it shows how awful sin is. The Bible very clearly teaches us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission for sin. And until you look at Leviticus, you don't understand atonement. And so what would happen is they would bring it in and they would have to put their hand on the head of the animal and they would confess their sin. But when they put their hand on the head of the animal, they were saying, this animal is a representation of me. This animal is taking my place. And then they would take and slit the throat of the animal and blood would go everywhere. It was a bloody mess. Now, what would happen at that time is that then they would take the animal and they would cut all of the fat out of the animal. After they, but before they did that, they would skin it. Then they would cut all the fat out of the animal. Then they would take the fat of the animal and they would burn it on the altar. And the Bible says it was a sweet aroma in the presence of the Lord. This is not something I'd be looking forward to doing. How about you, right? But you know what? It was, again, it was showing them, you know what? Sin can only be repaid with a very heavy price. And not understanding that the cross was coming and not having full understanding of, of the Messiah and, and Jesus coming, it was a way to make it very clear to them that when they sinned, it required a heavy price. If they could not give a bull or an ox, they would give a bird. And remember we talked about this, that what they did with a bird, a dove, or a pigeon, they would take it and wring its head. That sounds like a lot of fun also. So if you couldn't afford to slit a bull's throat, you got to wring a bird's head. 
And we talked about the fact that the wringing of its head was a picture of how they put a crown of thorns upon our Savior. And it says they would spread the wings of it without breaking it. They would spread its wings open to cut it open. And it's interesting, again, that with Jesus, what they do? They spread his arms. And so we very clearly see in the burnt offering the total dedication of our Savior that he gave us all for us. They had also taken plucked the, the uh, feathers from the bird, again, a picture of them plucking the beard of our Savior. Now, when they skinned the, the bull, what did that, that was a picture of what? Who remembers? What did they do to Jesus before he was crucified? They scourged him. And when they scourged him, they tore all the skin away from his body. Again, this is hundreds of years before Christ came, but all of it pointing to Jesus Christ. Now, you get to chapter 2, and it was the grain offering. And the grain offering is a picture of the fact that Christ is sinless and perfect. Remember how we talked about the fact that it had to be fine flour, sifted, perfect. Then they would take that fine flour and they would mix it with oil. What's oil a picture of in the Bible? The Holy Spirit. They would then take frankincense, which is a gift that was given to Jesus at his birth. And they would take frankincense, which is this, this like gummy resin that they would burn. And when they burned it, it had, it had a sweet aroma. And so they would mix it with oil, with frankincense, and it could never have any leaven in it. What's leaven a type of in the Bible? This type of picture of sin. Then they would take it and they would beat it all together. Again, a picture of what they did to Christ. In chapter 3, we got to the peace or the fellowship offering. And this one was a, a, the third of what is called the free will offerings. These are free will offerings. These were given freely, not out of requirement. And this third offering was brought and it was a celebration of God's deliverance. Now, it's interesting that you had the burnt offering first, and then the grain offering, and then the peace offering. And the peace offering could only be given alongside either a guilt offering or a sin offering. And the reason for that, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission for sin. And without that, there can also be no peace. You know, the sin had to be paid for through a perfect spotless sacrifice before you and I could have peace. And so the reason they're in the order that they're in is very specific. The peace offering, again, was a, the slaying of an animal. But the difference here was part of it was burned, and the other part of it was eaten by the family that offered it. And this was a way of, like, having communion with God. But again, if there were no sin offering, there could be no communion. You cannot have that relationship with God, sinful man and holy God, unless somebody pays the price to restore our relationship. It goes back to Genesis, like we talked about the sunrise service, that when man fell, man was separated from God because God is holy and perfect. So how do we restore sinful man back to holy God? A price had to be paid. Then we got to chapter 4, and in chapter 4 we saw the sin offering. And then we saw that all sin requires a sacrifice. And if you'll remember, these were sins that they talked about, and, and we even struggled with it a little bit, sins that were done unintentionally. Now again, I feel for the most part, pretty much all the sin I do is pretty intentional. How about you guys? Doesn't God convict you before you sin? You know you're going to do it, and you do it anyway. I mean, that's because if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, what happens is you, you, the Holy Spirit's convicting you, you know that if you do it, it's going to be sin, and then you do it anyway. And then in chapter 5, we saw the trespass offering. And a trespass offering were sins that were done intentionally. And so in each of these cases, these were required offerings that had to be brought. And so they, either for the sin offering, again, and I think it's interesting to point out, sin's done in ignorance. That means if I'm driving 45 in a 25-mile-an-hour zone, and I don't know it's a 25-mile-an-hour zone, that's still sin, because I'm still breaking the law, even if I don't know it. And so if someone says, well, I didn't know it was sin to do this, it doesn't matter whether you know it or not, that doesn't make it sin. What makes it sin is what the Bible says. 
Amen? And so if you're ignorant to the Word of God and you do it anyway, that's not an excuse. Ignorance of the law is not an excuse. Amen? And so sin is sin, and sin separates us from God, but yet He sent these, uh, sent, gave us these offerings that we could understand the, the payment that would have to be made. So we see how do the guilty respond when it comes to either a sin offering or a guilt offering. They re- began by confessing their sin, and then they brought sacrifice. And then lastly... Last week, we saw the last portion of the, of the guilt or trespass offering. And it was interesting to me that he named some sins here that required a trespass offering. But the sins he named were not adultery and murder, though those are all obviously sins. But the sins that he named in speaking to his people were lying to your neighbor, uh, being unfaithful about a promise that you made, uh, knowing that somebody had something stolen from them and not, not, te- not testifying on their behalf, uh, doing anything to defraud somebody for your own personal gain. And it's interesting to me that these, these are the trespasses that God picked out because every one of them points to character. You know, the Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. Reputation is what we do when everyone's watching. Character is who we are when no one's watching. And God looked at his people and said, you need to be people of character. I see your inward heart. And you know, the things that come out of your mouth prove who you are on the inside. And so he, he said to them that they would have to bring a trespass offering. Now it's interesting, lastly, before we get to the text this, morning, this, this evening, is that when they sinned against a person, not only did they have to get forgiveness from God, but they had to go to the person they sinned against and get forgiveness from them as well. And they call it restitution. But it's interesting that whatever you took from the other person, you had to pay them back double if you were just caught and you never confessed it, or you had to pay back 120% if you just got convicted and you went to the person. So you had to humble yourself, come to the person and say, you know what, dude, I robbed you four years ago. Dude, I, I, you know, remember I told you when I was watching your house that I didn't know who stole it, uh, you know, who stole your lawnmower? Well, I've been using it in my house for the last two years, right? I mean, you know, remember your wallet that got lost and I said, you know, I didn't, well, I, I spent the money and... You know, and you have to go back and literally humble yourself before the person, ask forgiveness from them even before you go to the Lord. You need to make restitution with man before you can have restoration with God. And it says that you had to pay at least 120%. Why? Because it was to show that the price of sin is always greater than what the flesh is satisfied from it. You know, we think that, oh, if I go, it's going to be great. It's going to, but the consequences of sin are always greater than the pleasure that comes from it. Always. You know, Satan is the greatest liar. He tries to tell us that, well, you know, you're forgiven. God forget. How have you ever heard that one before from Satan, right? Well, you're going to heaven already. I mean, what difference does it make? Haven't you heard that one before, right? I mean, you're going to heaven. Your name's written in the last book of life. God promised you that. It's okay. Do it, right? But the reality is that sin's consequences are always greater than the fleshly pleasure that comes from it. And sometimes it doesn't happen right away, but we see it eventually. So tonight we get to the last chapter, looking at the sacrifices. And last week we saw the priestly regu- regulations for, um, for a couple of them. But tonight we're going to see the priestly regulations for the rest of them. And so we're going to look at the priestly regulations for the trespass or guilt offering. We're going to look at uh, the pr- priestly regulation for the peace offering. And there's going to be some stuff in there that's going to minister to us. We're going to see that fat and blood were forbidden to be eaten by Israel. We're going to see God's provision for the priest and finally the summary of the offering. So let's begin by looking at the regulations for the trespass or guilt offering, beginning in verse 1. Likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering. It is most holy. Now remember the trespass or guilt offering was for sins done knowingly, whether they were against man or against God. And what did you have to bring if you had a trespass, if you had sinned against man or sinned against God and you did it knowingly? 
You chose to sin, which is what we do most of the time. We know it's sin, and we do it anyway. Words are about to come out of our mouth. Holy Spirit's going, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. And you say it anyway, right? Am I the only one that's ever done that? right? And you know, and you go, but it'll be funny, Lord. You know, it's going to be good, right? And, you know, and, and we do that kind of thing, and then we they blurt it out, and the Holy Spirit goes, right? That's the Holy Spirit head slap. That's a conviction of the Holy Spirit, and we're convicted by it. So in those cases where we trespassed against men or against God, they would have to bring a ram. And we talked about this when we went over this a few weeks ago, that they brought a ram, and remember that we've seen a ram in the Bible already, and it was at Mount Moriah. Remember Abraham and Isaac? And God told Abraham to take his son, his only son, Isaac, the son of promise he'd been waiting for. And he says, take him up and put him to death on the mountain. I want you to sacrifice him to me. And, and Isaac's carrying the wood. Isaac, the son, the chosen son, is carrying the wood up Mount Moriah, a picture of Jesus carrying the cross. And, and his son turns to his father and says, Dad, you know, we've got the fire in the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And most of you know it says in, in Genesis that, that Abraham responds and says, God will provide himself a sacrifice. Not for himself. He will provide himself a sacrifice. He gets up to the top of, the, of Mount Moriah. He pulls back the knife to, to kill his own son, who, who at this point is, is probably a teenager in his early 20s, and Abraham's like 115 years old. So do you think if Isaac wanted to whoop up on his dad, he probably could have made it happen, right? I mean, you know, so Isaac's laying there of his own free will. Isaac's saying, you know what, dad? If that's what God wants, I'm willing. Just again, a picture of Christ. But as Abraham pulls back that knife and is about to slay his son, his chosen son, God stops him and says, Abraham, now I know you will hold nothing back from me. And what happened? He turned and what did he see caught in the thicket? A ram. And we see here that when they were to make a trespass offering, they were to bring a ram. A picture again. And then we saw, and, and I know this is repetitive for some of you, but I like to make it real clear. the last time going through the sacrifices, but Ram skins dyed red in the tabernacle. Remember that? The first layer was in the tabernacle was goat skins, black, or goat, goat hair, and it was black, representation of sin. And how did they cover the sin? With the ram skins dyed red, a picture of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So when they brought that ram in, that ram without blemish, perfect, again, a picture of our Savior, they brought that ram in for a trespass offering. All of it was pointing to Jesus Christ. It says there, it is most holy. It was a sacrifice that was wholly devoted to God. It was set apart completely for God and His glory. I like the word consecrated. It just means taking something and using it only and specifically for God and His glory. Consecrated. Set apart to be used for God. I want to live a consecrated life. How about you? Amen? A life set apart for God. And that's what it's saying about this offering. Verse 2. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the trespass offering, and its blood he shall sprinkle all around on the altar. Now remember, just as a refresher, the place the burnt offering was burnt was on which side of the altar? Who remembers? The north side. And why is that significant? Because Golgotha or Calvary is on the north side of, of the temple. If we go where the temple was, and those of you going to go with us in March, by the way, we should have some information out in the next week or so about our Israel trip. Those of you, you go with us next March, we will go to the temple, and we will look out to the north, and we'll see Golgotha. And then we'll go to Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified, and we'll go to the tomb where he rose from the dead. And you're going to see how all of this is perfectly aligned with, the, with what happened in these sacrifices 
hundreds of years even before Jesus came to earth. Awesome. Gotta love the Bible. So they killed that, the offering, and the way that they killed it, again, they put the hand on the ram's head, they slit its throat, then the blood would pour everywhere, they would take the blood and they would sprinkle it upon the altar. Now it's interesting that the blood was poured out at the place of sacrifice when Jesus was crucified. He had been scourged, right? which means there was no skin left on his body. These pictures you see of Jesus being crucified in the movies or in a, uh, somebody's drawing you know, with a little trickle of blood running down the side of his face, that's not accurate. Okay? When you were scourged by the seventh or eighth lash, you had very little skin left on your body and all your organs were exposed. Well, Jesus had 39 lashes. So most people died, and Jesus didn't because it wasn't appointed for him to die there. And then he carried the cross, and then he was nailed to the cross. You can imagine the blood that was all over by the cross. This is what was happening at the altar. When you came in to make sacrifice, there was blood everywhere. This was not a pleasant sight. But again, it was a picture of the awfulness of sin and the ultimate price that ultimately would have to be paid. And it was a picture of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Verse 3. And he shall offer from it all its fat, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the two kidneys, the fat that is on them by the flanks, the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove. So not only did they slit the throat of the animal, but then they had to to basically uh, be a butcher and cut this animal and cut out specific pieces of the animal. And again, just imagine the attention to detail you'd have to have as you're cutting out the fatty lobe and you've got to get the kidney out of there. I mean, that's, I don't want to do that, okay? I'm not just, I, you know, you get to the surgery channel, I go right by it. You know what I mean? They got, uh, uh, you just get me right by that channel. I don't like that, right? So I can't imagine having to take that, you know, animal in there, you know, all these different sacrifices throughout the year. Where's the fatty lobe? I've got to cut the fatty lobe. You know, and you're cutting this thing open. There's blood just getting all over you. And that doesn't sound like fun to me. But again, it showed the awfulness of sin. Now, this was considered the best part of the animal because it was the part of the animal that would taste the best. And instead of taking that part of the animal for themselves, that was the part they sacrificed to the Lord. Now, the application for us is that we give our best to God, not what's left over. Amen? We don't give Him the last five minutes of our day when we're about to nap and we're drooling in our Bible or we're trying to read that chapter for the evening. You know what I'm talking about? Giving God, you know, after watching four and a half hours of TV and you're reading your Bible and you're slobbering all over yourself. You don't give God the last part of your time. Don't give God what's left over of your day. You know, give God our first fruits. You know, pay, you know, pay for your vacations, pay for all your trips, pay for everything that's fun, and then, oh, I got $3 left to tie. There it is, right? I mean, giving God what's left instead of giving God first. We give Him of our first fruits, and that's why they gave the best to the Lord. It was a picture of the fact that we, too, are to give our best to the Lord. Verse 5. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a trespass offering. So they burnt them on the altar. God's appointed intercessor, that's what a priest is, a type or a picture of Christ, would take the very best, the fat, and burn it upon the altar. Altar is always a picture of the cross by fire producing a sweet aroma to the Lord. It's interesting to me that they would take it and it says it was a sweet aroma to the Lord because do you know that as as treacherous and torturous as the cross was, that it was a sweet aroma to the Father? You know why? Because it allows Him to have a relationship with you. That's why. Because he loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. That's the God that we serve. And it's a sweet aroma to him because it allows you and him to have that relationship that he had with Adam and Eve in the garden. That that relationship can come back. So praise God for that. So it's a trespass offering. Again, the price that had to be paid to make atonement for our guilt. Verse 6. Every male among the priests may eat it. 
It shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most holy. Now, the priests, these guys received, as we'll see later, the Levites received no inheritance. When, they, when the 12 tribes get, were given their inheritance, 11 tribes were given an inheritance, Levite, no inheritance. You know what Levi's inheritance was? To serve in the temple, to be called by God. And they were consecrated their lives, they were set apart to serve. Now at this point, the Levites have not been called yet. But what this is a picture of is that the priests were provided for through the sacrifice of the people. As people brought their offerings to the Lord, a percentage of it was taken and given to the priests to provide for them and for their families. Not unlike today. You know, the, for, for me to be full-time at the church, which I've been for two months, and by the way, what a blessing. I cannot tell you how much I love getting to do what I, what I do. I get to sit during the daytime now and study the Bible. This is an awesome thing. You have no idea. I, most of you know I used to study all night. That was when I studied because I worked full-time. And I'm so blessed to sit in my office and look out at the ocean and study the Bible. Man, that rocks, okay? I mean, what a blessing. I can't believe I get to do that. But that's only because you guys are being faithful to give because it does provide for my family. And I've never had this happen in 18, 16, whatever it's been, years of ministry. I've always worked. But it also provides for our missionaries in Gospel for Asia. You know, we got several missionaries that we provide for. And you know what? Those guys are doing full-time work. Why? Because we're faithful to give of what God has given us. It's all God's anyway. And then God takes it and uses it to, so those guys can do full-time ministry. And you know what? That's what God's called us to do. We don't give out of guilt or because some, someone manipulates us into giving. We give from a willing heart so that God's kingdom might be added to, that he might be glorified. Amen? But it says here that these guys are to eat it in a holy place. And I think that's significant because there are a lot of guys out there, a lot of men, men and women, missionaries, different people, that think that ministry is a place for you to just kick back and have people provide for you. When these guys eat, they were to be in a holy place. They were to be walking in the center of God's will. You know what? If, I, I, I tell you what, I feel an extra heavy level of accountability to, to before God like I've always had, but even more so now that I'm doing it full time. I feel like, Lord, I, you know what? I don't want to shortchange your people one bit. Lord, I want to spend more time in your word. I want to spend more time praying for them. I want to spend more time interceding on their behalf. Lord, I want to be faithful. I do not want to be slack. And these guys are saying, you know what? You do it in a holy place. You don't just take this and run home with it, as we saw Hophni and Phinehas do on Friday morning in the men's uh, Bible study. We're going through 1 Samuel. And these guys use their position as a way to, to fleece the flock of God. This is for provision and sustenance while in fellowship with the Lord, not as a way to pad your pockets and to live a luxurious life like some people you might see on TV. Verse 7. The trespass offering is like the sin offering. There is one law for them both. The priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. So the law for the trespass and sin offerings are the same. Whether the sin is intentional or done in ignorance, there must be a sacrifice. And both of them make provision for the priest. Verse 8. And the priest who offers anyone's burnt offering, the priest shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering which he has offered. So when they would skin the animal, the skin would then become property of the priest, and the priest would then use that, you know, for covering or whatever he would use it for in his home. Now it's interesting to me that where's the first time you see the shedding of blood for remission of sin? Where do you see that the first time in the Bible? When is it? Adam and Eve. Remember the first sin? Remember they hid themselves and they were naked? Remember that? They used to walk in the cool today in the presence of God, and then they sinned, they went and hide, hid from the Lord. And what did the Lord do? It says that he killed an animal, sacrificed an animal, and he used the skins to cover them. 
So for the first time there's any death anywhere in the Bible, it was the shedding of blood for the covering of sin. And so it goes all the way back to Genesis. Nothing had died before that. No plants were dying. No animals were dying. There was nothing that died. And with their sin, death came. And with sin comes the death of all mankind. But here we see, again, that through the shedding of blood, there, there's these skins that are produced, and these skins then are given to the priest as provision for him and for his family. But it goes all the way back to Genesis, verse 9. Also, of every grain offering that is baked in the oven, all that is prepared in a covered pan or in a pan shall be the priest who offers it. Every grain offering, offering, whether mixed with oil or dry, shall belong to all the sons of Aaron, to one as much as the other. Now, the grain offering, remember, a picture, again, of Christ's perfection. But there's different ways you could prepare it. You could prepare it in a, in a pan. You could prepare it on, I think it was like a griddle. And depending on how you prepared it, it would be the way that you offered it. And when it was cooked in a pan, they would break it in small pieces before they offered it to the Lord. Remember, they only offered a memorial portion to God, and the rest of it was given to the priest. But it was broken in pieces, and then oil poured out on it. I find that interesting, because we need to be broken that the Holy Spirit might be poured out upon us. Amen? It was broken first, and then the oil was poured out. And same needs to happen to us. We need to be broken that the Holy Spirit might be poured out upon us. Now, I find it interesting, again, that there are different ways that, that you could prepare this you know, different pans, different ways you can prepare it. But, but one thing is the same, and that's the ingredients. The ingredients were pure flour and oil. The purity of our Savior and the oil or a picture of the Holy Spirit. And so I find, and I use this analogy when we went through chapter 2 a while back, that while churches may vary in their presentation, you can have a formal church and an informal church, Right? You can have a church that sings hymns or one that sings contemporary music. You can have one that meets in a gym or one that meets in a stained glass cathedral, right? This is a gym, by the way. It's not a stained glass cathedral if you haven't figured that out, all right? But here's the thing. All those things can vary, and they can all be serving God. But there's one thing that must remain the same. It can be in the pan or the covered pan or cooked on the griddle, but the ingredients must be the same. We must be magnifying Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen from the dead. Jesus Christ must be the only way, the only truth, and the only life. It's the, the building can be different. The way we worship the Lord can be different. The way we dress when we come to church can be different. But Jesus Christ being magnified and lifted up, that cannot change. The ingredients cannot change. Amen? And that's, so that's the key. So I don't care what, you know, how, what the building looks like as long as the Lord is being honored and praised and glorified. Every grain offering after, again, belonged to the priest. And this was a way, again, to provide for their family. They would take it and be able to share it with their family. It would be provisioned for them. Let's move on to the peace offering, verse 11. This is the law of the sacrifice of the peace offering, which he shall offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, or cakes of blended flour mixed with oil. Now, a fellowship or a peace offering member was a free will offering, and it was given totally out of just a love for God. There was no, you didn't have to give it, you gave it because you wanted to. Lord, I just want you to know that I love you, and it's a thanksgiving offering unto you, Lord. I just want to, because you're a great God, and I just want to give. And so when you brought that, you would bring with it a grain offering, again, for provision for the priest. You would bring the animal to slay before the Lord, to give to the Lord, a portion of it would go to the priest. But you also brought this grain offering for no other reason than to provide for those who are making sacrifice, those who are interceding on your behalf, 
The ones who were going in and actually taking the blood and sprinkling it on the altar, a picture of Christ. So they would bring it again according to wealth, a bull or an oxen without blemish, or a lamb or a goat without blemish, and they would burn it on the altar, and portions of it were given to the priest, and again, uh, other parts of it were given to him and to his family. And this is a, a picture of what the believer has today with Christ, is what they would eat part of it, the person who offered it would eat part of it, Part of it would be offered to the Lord, and part of it went to the priest and his family. And this is what we have in the church today. We have intimate fellowship with God. Through the shedding of blood on the cross, we now can enter into his presence and have that intimate fellowship with him. And that's what the fellowship offering was all about. Now it says there, if it's a thanksgiving offering, that was given, again, typically for a special blessing. Maybe, maybe somebody in your family was really sick and they got better, and you just wanted to praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. I just want to, I just want to praise you. And they would bring a thanksgiving offering. Now it's interesting that they would bring the different types of grain. They would anoint it with the Holy Spirit, put a Holy Spirit on, or oil on it, picture the Holy Spirit. It had to be unleavened, always free from sin. And part of them would be mixed with oil and others would be anointed with oil. Now that's a picture of Christ as well. Because remember the Bible says that Jesus Christ was anointed with the Holy Spirit or filled with the Holy Spirit just as John the Baptist was from his mother's womb because he's God. Holy Spirit's always with him, right? But at his baptism, what happened? Who remembers? The Holy Spirit came upon him, descended upon him like a dove. As he got ready to start his public ministry, he's, he's 100% God. By the way, he doesn't need to be specially equipped to do anything. He's God. Amen? He put the stars into the sky. But it was a picture for us, the anointing that comes specifically for ministry. The same thing happens with us. We, we can have the Holy Spirit within us as we're born again, but then the Holy Spirit can come upon us specifically as we're called by God to do more for His kingdom. And so we see here the oil was mixed with some of the offering and poured upon other portions of the offering. Verse 13. Beside the cakes, these cakes, as the offering, He shall offer leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving for His peace offering. Now wait a minute. I don't think any of the offerings could have leaven in them because leaven's a picture of what? Well, this is leavened bread, and they're bringing it as part of their, their Thanksgiving offering. Why would they do that? Let me tell you why. First of all, we know, and we'll see this when we get later in Leviticus, that this part was never offered on the altar because there can be no leaven on the altar. Never. Why can there not be leaven on the altar? Because there cannot be a sacrifice that is sinful. That's why Buddha can't buy, die for you, by the way. Even if he had tried, he didn't anyway. Big fat guy with sticking oranges in his lap. But here's the reality. He could not die for you anyway because he is a sinner in need of a Savior. Amen? And so you can't take, you know, something filled with... That guy looks like he's had a lot of leaven, by the way. Man, he's getting out there. But you know what? You can't take something filled with leaven and then offer it for a sinful man. You must be, it must be perfect. It must be unleavened. So this leavened bread was brought by the person making the offering as a picture of himself. It was a picture of the offerer. And it was given to the priest, and the priest and his family would eat it. It was not offered on the altar, but it was a picture of the one bringing the offering. He had part of the offering was unleavened, part of the offering was an animal is, that, that was going to be killed, but part of it he brought was leavened, because he was a sinner, she was a sinner, and it's a picture of us. And so they brought that with it. It was not offered on the altar, but it was given to the priest. Again, picture of you and I, reflection of the one offering the, the uh, offering to the Lord. You know, we come to God in, in our sinfulness seeking to be transformed by the shed blood of Christ, not by our good works. You can't, you can't be good enough. I don't care how hard you try. 
I don't care what habits you quit. I don't care how many times you come to church. I don't care how much of the Bible you've memorized. You cannot be good enough to earn God's favor. You can't do it. You can't be good enough to get into heaven. That's why I think it's so significant that in one of these offerings, they bring a, a, a leavened loaf of bread, and it's a picture of us. Man, we're sinners, and we're in desperate need of a Savior, and we cannot be good enough. Verse 14. And from it he shall offer one cake from each offering as a heave offering to the Lord. We'll talk about that in a minute. It shall belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the peace offering. So they would bring all the different types of cakes, the unleavened cakes, the unleavened wafers, the cakes with blended flour, the leavened bread, and all of that would be then offered. They would, a heave offering was me, it just means that they would hold it up to the Lord and say, Lord, this is yours, this belongs to you. And then they would take it and the priest would use it to provide for his family. But it was offered first to the Lord, and then the Lord was then giving it, in a sense, to the priest. When you give, by the way, guys, you're not giving to Calvary Chapel, and you're not giving to, to, the, to the missionaries, you're not giving to the pastor, and you're, not give, you're giving to God. Amen? Everything you give, you're giving to Him. You know, I've been to churches before where I've given, and I found out later, to, to my own distress, that some of the funds weren't used in the right way. And you know what? God just softened my heart quickly and said, Dave, you gave it to me. I'll deal with them. Amen? You gave it to me, and, and you know what? I'm going to take care of that. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of them. And you know, some of these guys on TV that are, that are shystering people, there's some people that give with the right heart, and you know what? God's going to bless them. And he'll deal with those who, are, who do wrong with what God has given to, to, to the kingdom of God. And so they would take it, they would offer it to the Lord, and then the Lord would then give it unto these priests, and the priests would then use it to provide for their families. Verse 15. The flesh of the sacrificing of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until morning. Now I find this interesting. They offered it to the Lord, and then they were to eat it right away. Now why, would, why do you think they might want to have them eat it right away? Because the offering had to be perfect. It had to be sinless. When you put leaven in something, it caused it basically to ferment, right? And that's why the dough rises, and that's what they do to it, right? Well, if you left meat sitting out for many days, what would happen to it? It would begin to decay. And then you would be eating an unclean offering. And what it's saying is, no, whatever's offered to the Lord must be perfect, it must be clean, it must be holy, and so when you eat of it, you must eat of it right away. It can't just sit around for days and days and days, you must eat it right away. And the same is true, it's just an encouragement to us that the Bible tells us today is the day of salvation. Amen? We don't wait to have fellowship with God down the road sometime. You know what, today's the day. He wants to have the intimate fellowship with you now. Don't put it off till tomorrow. You don't have the promise of tomorrow. And so they were to eat it right away, verse 17, 16 and 17. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow or a voluntary offering, now a vow would be an offering that was made um, because of a promise she made. Remember Hannah made a promise to God? Remember that? What did she say? Lord, if you give me a son, what, what did she say? I'll dedicate him to the Lord. I'll have him come serve in the temple. Lord, I'll bring him, I'll serve the priest. And so what did she do? She, she had a son, Samuel, and she brought him to the Lord. That was a vow. Well, that's what this is, a vow offering where you've made a promise to God, then you're bringing an offering in fulfillment of, him, uh, of the promise you've made to Him and God honoring that. Or a voluntary offering. Again, a voluntary offering was done without any, anything attached to it. It shall be eaten the same day that He offers the sacrifice, but on the next day the remainder of it also may be eaten. The remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day must be burned with fire. 
You know what? If it starts to decay, it's got to be burnt. The word there, it says, it's, it says in verse 18, look what it says. And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering is eaten on the third day, it shall be, not be accepted, nor shall be imputed to him. It shall be an abomination. I look at that word abomination. You know what that word means? It means it stinks. If you leave it to the third day, it's going to stink. You take meat out and you leave it out in the sun for three days, guess what? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be rancid. And it's saying if it's not eaten within the first two days, then you just burn it. Because then it's of no value. And the same is true again. When we make sacrifices to the Lord, when we honor God, we're to be, we're to be faithful to it. We're not to put off our, our calling. We're not to say, I'll do it later. I'll do it a different time. Because when that sacrifice or when that meat begins to decay, it is no longer a worthy sacrifice. It is no longer clean before God. Only the sacrifice of the pure and holy Savior can restore sinful man back to a holy God. And rotten meat cannot represent Jesus. Amen? Does that make sense? You can't have rotten, decaying meat representing our Savior. And that's why it said you must eat it right away, because if you don't, after the third, you've got to put it on the fire, because it's of no value anymore. It says, An abomination to him who offers it, and the person who eats it shall bear guilt. If you eat of, a, of the rotten meat, it says you are guilty. And what did that guilt, what did that require of you? So, the, and then, so what would happen is, you would be guilty before God, and you would be basically, as we're going to see later, you would no longer be able to fellowship with those, the people that were in right standing before God. Now it's interesting to me that it says there that you were guilty if you ate of this meat, but it's a picture of somebody going and eating a false doctrine, or eating a false Messiah, or following after a false God. Because decayed meat cannot be a picture of our Savior. And so meat that's decayed is a picture of a false God, a false truth, a false answer. Look at verse 19. The flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned with fire. And as for the clean flesh, all who are clean may eat of it. Only those who are clean could eat of the clean flesh. Now, how can you be clean? Well, if you were to, remember, touch an unclean thing, if you touched a dead body, you touched something, uh, a, a dead animal, then you were unclean, ceremonially, and you had to go in and cleanse yourself. A picture of the fact that when you've been touched by the world, you're tainted by the world. And if you touch anything that's unclean, you become like it. It transfers the, the uncleanness to you. Well, what's that a picture of for us? That we become like those we hang out with. Amen? You know what? Think of the last time you did something you shouldn't have done, or when you got in major league trouble, who were you hanging out with when it happened? Right? I mean, bad company corrupts good morals, and you know what? You're probably not going to go, you know... Uh, to a strip club if you're hanging out with the pastors from church. I'm thinking that's probably not going to happen. And if it does, you need to go to another church. Amen? But the reality is, you're probably not going to go out and, and cheat on your husband if you're hanging out with three of your Christian female friends. You know, if some guy comes up and hits on you at the dinner table, you're not going to give him your phone number if you're hanging out with your three Christian friends. You know, bad company corrupts good morals. You're probably not going to go out drinking with your Christian friends. But to the same extreme, you're probably not going to make as great a stand for the Lord if you're hanging out with a bunch of unbelievers. And if you touch any unclean thing, you too become like it. You become like what you hang out with. We are called to minister to the world, but to have no fellowship with it. Amen? You know, we're to have love for the lost, a burden for the lost, but my best friends are not unbelievers. The reality is, my friends aren't unbelievers. I have a burden for them. I'll take a guy out for a Coke and share the Lord with him. But I'm not, that's not where I hang out. Those aren't the guys I spend my time with. Why? Because I do not want to become like that. 
I do not want to start seeing. Have you ever noticed when you, if you just watch TV even, if you, if you hang out with people and they're talking about money and how important money is, if you listen out long enough, you're going to think money's real important, aren't you? Didn't it happen? Somebody, you know, one of your friends gets a brand new car and, they're, and they take you for a ride in it and you're sitting in the car going, man, this thing's Brad. I got to give me one, right? And what happens is that you begin to be influenced by what you're hanging out with. The people you spend time with have a big impact on you. It says, don't touch any unclean thing. Because if you do, you no longer are able to have that communion with the Father. You break fellowship with the Lord. Only those who are clean may eat of the, this clean offering. So we must be in right standing before God before we can have fellowship with God. Now, we don't do that by our good works. We do that by having a repentant heart. We do that by having short accounts with God. When you do sin, it's stop and Lord, forgive me. You know, that's why the Bible says pray without ceasing. We have to pray without ceasing just to ask for forgiveness. Amen? Right? I mean, we're, we're blowing it so much that if we just ask for forgiveness every time we sin, we got that praying without ceasing pretty well down. Amen? But God wants us to be constantly in His presence, and we do not want to break fellowship with Him because of the things of this world. Verse 20. But the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord while he is unclean, that person shall be cut off from his people. He shall be excommunicated. He shall no longer be able to be in a place of fellowship. He shall no longer be able to hang out with God's people. Why? Because he's fallen into the sin of the world and he won't repent. He's done it, he's done it on purpose and he's walked away from God because he's eating something that God has commanded that he should not do. Verse 21. Moreover, the person who touches any unclean thing, such as human uncleanness or unclean animal or any abominable unclean thing, and who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord, that person shall be cut off from his people. Someone who goes out and knows they're unclean and then goes and eats of the clean flesh of the, that, that was sacrificed to God. Now, what's that a picture of for us today? That's communion. When we take communion... It's not because we're perfect, but the Bible says that we are to take it worthily. And what does that mean? That means before you take communion, you should examine your heart and come before the Lord and say, Lord, is there, you know, forgive me for my sin, and Lord, is there anything that I've done that, Lord, I need to seek your forgiveness for? You need to examine our hearts. And as we examine our hearts, prepare our hearts to come to that place of communion. We're not to take it lightly, because it's the, the shed blood of the cross. It's a picture of his body that was broken for us. Verse 22. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, and this is, forbidding of fat and blood. By the way, I'm not into drink of blood anyway, so this doesn't bother me much. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, you shall not eat any fat of the ox or the sheep or the goat. Now, it's interesting that this fat he's talking about here is not for sacrifice. He says, you're not to eat the fat of the animals, period. Why? Why do you think that they're not supposed to eat the fat ever? Even if it's not a sacrifice to the Lord. Because even if it's not a sacrifice to the Lord, the best still belongs to the Lord. And they were just not to eat it in, in, a, in honoring of God. Saying, you know what, Lord, the best is always yours. Even any animal that I'm not going to sacrifice to you, the best of it belongs to you. It's yours, Lord, so I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to eat of it. And it was God's command that they would not. So every time they ate, they were thinking about the Lord and being sensitive not to eat what belonged to Him. They says, speak to the children, excuse me, yeah, speak to the children of Israel who shall not eat any fat of the ox or the sheep, and the fat of the animal that dies naturally, the fat of that which is torn by a wild beast, may be used in any other way, but you shall not by no means eat it. So if you had an animal that just died because it was old, you were not to eat the fat of it. Now you could use it for other things, and they would use 
the, the animal fat for, for medicines, and they would use it to make candles and different things. And that was okay, but they were not supposed to eat it. Why? Because that offering belonged to the Lord. Just a constant reminder that the best is God's. Think about that when you go home tonight. The best of what you have is the Lord's. The best of your time, the best of your finances, the best of your abilities. Who gave you your time? Who gave you the time you've got on this planet to breathe in and out? God did. Who gave you the finances that you have? That would be God. Well, I work real hard for that money. Who gave you the ability to work hard? And who blessed you with the job? That'd be God again. Amen? Who gave you the clothes on your back? That'd be the Lord. So your time, your finances, what about the abilities you have? God gave them all to you. So they're all His, and the best of it belongs to Him. So the first fruits of my time, the first fruits of my abilities, the first fruits of my finances belong to the Lord, and I need to honor Him. By the way, you can't outgive God. He's a great and an awesome God, and He will never allow you to go without if you will give to Him first. Verse 25, For whoever eats the fat of the animal of which men offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, the person who eats it shall be cut off from the people. God took it seriously. He said, If you try to come and take what belongs to me, you shall be cut off from my people. This belonged to the Lord. Don't take it. I thought of this statement that Pastor Chuck used all the time. Touch not the glory. If the best of the animal belongs to the Lord and I take it for myself, I'm taking away from God. I'm saying, I'm more important than the Lord. And so when we do ministry, we are never to touch His glory. The best belongs to God. The honor belongs to the Lord. The best of the sacrifice is His. And so if I take it for me, then I'm saying, I'm more important than God. And the reality is that God should receive all the glory, all the honor, all the praise above all men at all times. Again, eating that which belongs to the Lord, take, taking it for yourself, results in separation from God. May we never seek to draw people to ourselves. Ever. Ever. You know the sad part is? When you were in school, what was the most important thing? Being what? Being popular. Right? That means I have to have the praise of people. That's what it's all about. The world says your success is determined by how many people serve you. How many people work for you. How many people esteem you. The Bible says that greatness is determined by how many people you serve, how many people you honor, how many people you esteem. It's the exact opposite of the world. It's the world upside down. The world says, oh, I got 150 people working for me. Oh, I must be important, right? And the world says, God says, it's how many people do you serve? Under rower, at the bottom of the ship, right? Ministering to people who don't even know who you are. That's, the Bible says, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Verse 26 and 27, we're almost done. It says there, Moreover, you shall not eat any of the blood in any of your dwellings, whether of bird or of beast. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. Why do you think they're not to eat the blood? And by the way, this, after Acts chapter 10, this doesn't apply anymore, okay? I have people say that, well, I, I can't eat rare meat because there's blood in it, and the Bible forbids it. Well, no, it doesn't, because the, the, the sacrificial system went away with the priesthood. When Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled all of this. Amen? And in Acts chapter 10, he told Peter, rise, kill, and what? Eat. Well, those are unclean animals. He said, what I've called clean, let no man call unclean. All right? Now, you may not like rare meat, that's fine. You may not like meat at all, that's fine too. But we don't have to walk around going, dude, you're totally in sin because they're, 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 you know, that's still pink, that meat there. You're in big trouble, right? That doesn't apply anymore. But why do you think back then that they didn't want, he didn't want them eating the blood? Why not? What's that? 
The life's in the blood. That's what the Bible says. The life is in the blood, and the blood was used only for one thing, and that was for sacrifices. So the blood was reserved to be spilled on the altar, to be poured out on the altar. And so if you were to take that blood, you were taking what was to be offered only to God, and you were taking it for yourself. Again, you were taking the best for yourself when it was to be offered to God. It was a picture of what Christ was going to do for us upon the cross. We're almost done. Last few verses here. Verse 28. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, He who offers the sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of the peace offering. His own hand shall bring the offerings made by fire to the Lord. The fat with the breast he shall bring, that the breast may be uh, waved as a wave offering before the Lord. So the people that brought the offering were to bring the offering in their own hands. They weren't to pay somebody to make their offerings for them. They weren't to send a servant to do it. You know, they weren't just say, oh, I got a lot of money, you know, yeah, I got to make my offering. Grab that bull and drive down there and give it to him. He, didn't want, he wanted them to go and do it with their own hands. Why? Because then it would show them the awfulness of sin. It would show them the incredible amount of blood that had to be, had to be splattered all over the place because of the wicked things that they have done. And if you sent your servant to do it, you would never fully be faced with it. And he said, you must put your own hands on it and bring it to the Lord. And then after they did that, they would cut it open again, and part of it would be given to the priest. Look what it says here. Verse 31. And the priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be Aaron's and his son's. So they would wave it to the Lord, and the way they did it is they would, they would wave it toward the altar and toward God, and then they would bring it toward the priest. It was to the altar, toward God, and to the priest. And it was a picture of that, that this was... A sacrifice was being made, it was being given to the Lord, and now the Lord was giving it to the priest as his sustenance. It was being given to the priest to take care of him and his family. And so the priest was given the breast. So the fat was burnt on the altar, and then the breast portion was given to the priest. Look what it says in verse 32. Also the right thigh. Now, how many of your Bibles say shoulder? Anybody have a Bible that says shoulder? Okay. I actually think that's a better translation. Some say shoulder, some say thigh. You, I looked it up in the original language. It can kind of mean either one. I think shoulder is maybe a better translation. But it says there, the right thigh or the right shoulder you shall give to the priest as a heave offering for the sacrifices of your peace offerings. Now, what they did was they would take that, this other prime piece of meat. So you've given all the fat burnt on the altar. Now you've given the breast and the shoulder to the priest. Now, it's interesting to me that the priest had the breast and the shoulder. Because the breast is the nearest and dearest to the heart. It covered the heart. And the priest is to have a heart for the people. He's to have a heart for the people. But he's also to carry the burdens of the people, right? To the Lord. He has the heart of God for the people, and then he carries the burdens of the people to God. The heart of God, the breast, right? To the people. And the burdens of the people to God, wouldn't that be where you carry burdens? On your shoulders. And isn't it interesting that those are the two things that were given to the priest as his offering that was to provide for him and his family. Nothing happens by chance in the Bible, by the way, if you haven't figured that out. If it's in the Bible, it's in there for a reason. Verse 33. He among the sons of Aaron who offers the blood of the peace offering and fat shall have the right thigh or right shoulder for his part. Verse 34. For the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering I have taken from the children of Israel, from the sacrifices of their peace offerings, I have given them to Aaron the priest and to his sons from the children of Israel as a statute forever. It says there a statute forever. Is that statute still in effect today? 
We still slaughtering animals today? Statutes not anymore. Why? Because it was a statute for their generations until what? Until the Messiah came. Because all these sacrifices pointed to Jesus. Now this blows me away. You ever talk to a Jewish person, they say they're a practicing Jew, you say, so what did you slaughter at uh, the Passover feast this year? What did you bring to the Feast of Tabernacles? Did you bring a goat this year, or did you go with the bull? Right? You know what they say? Oh, uh, well, we don't really. Now, so wait a minute. You weren't supposed to stop that until the Messiah came. Now, I agree with you, the Messiah's been here. That's why you need to repent and become a Christian. Amen? But, they, but they, say, they say, well, wait a minute. Yeah, but you know, we're still waiting for the Messiah. Well, wait a minute. Why don't you have the sacrifices anymore? Where do the sacrifices go? How can you still be following God? Because this was to be a statute forever until the Messiah came. And I say, you know what? You don't have to kill him anymore. You killed lambs, right? Guess who the Lamb of God is? That would be Jesus, right? Didn't you also kill goats? You know who the scapegoat was, the one who all the sins of the world were placed upon? That would be Jesus. By the way, the Passover, you know what they do at Passover? They take three, I've, told, I've shared this with you guys before, they take three pieces of, of unleavened bread that are all the same size, and they take the middle one out, and they break it in half. And after they break it, they wrap it in linen, and they go hide it. Three pieces. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They take the middle one out. Who's the middle one? Who's the second part of the Trinity? That'd be Jesus, right? They break it in half. What happened to Jesus? He was broken on the cross, amen? Then they wrap it in linen. What happened to Jesus after he was crucified? Then they wrap him in linen. And then they would go, they go hide it, and then when they, the kids find it, they rejoice that it's been found. What happened when Jesus was taken, wrapped in linen, put into the tomb? What happened when he rose from the dead? Everybody rejoiced. That was looking at, man, and, it, and I was telling, sharing this with a lady on the plane on the way home from Israel, and she's like, well, I don't see how you see Jesus in that. I'm like, duh, how do you not see Jesus in that? I was explaining it to her. She's like, well, yeah, that's exactly what we do. She said, then we wrap it in linen. What did they do to Jesus after he was crucified? Oh, you're going to say they wrapped him in linen. Well, didn't they? Well, yeah. And then, didn't they? Oh, yeah. And it's amazing to me. So again, you look at the sacrifices, they all point to Jesus Christ, every one of them. But they're statutes until the Messiah came. Aren't you glad we're not making sacrifices anymore? Aren't you glad there isn't a big bronze altar out front? Thank you, Jesus. I'm glad. I, I, don't, I don't think I'd be a pastor. I don't, I'd be out there with a knife every Sunday. Okay, bring, it, bring up the animal. All right. I'm cutting it up, putting it on the altar, smoke going, covered in blood. I'm thinking, I, I don't, I'd rather teach the Bible. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? I'm glad we're not doing that stuff anymore. Let's finish up the chapter. Let's look at the summary of all the different offerings. It says in 35, This is consecrated portion for Aaron and his sons from the offerings made by fire to the Lord on the day when Moses presented them to minister to the Lord as priests. You know what? From the day that they were consecrated, God said he would provide for them. But notice what it says. They minister what the Lord? What does it say? They minister what? So priests were called to do what before they did anything else? Minister what? To the Lord. Look at the end of that verse. It says, when the, he presented them to minister to the Lord as priests. You know what? When we're called by God, the most important thing I do as a pastor is minister to the Lord. My, my number one calling in my life is to minister to the Lord. How do I minister to Him? Through prayer, through worship, through spending time in His Word, just having that intimacy with Him. You can never take people to a place you've never been yourself. Amen? And if I don't have intimacy with God, there's no way I'm going to be able to share the intimacy of God with you. 
Does that make sense? And so the first calling on my life and the first calling on your life is that you would have intimacy with God. He saved you to use you for his glory. And he saved you that you might have an intimate relationship with him. So your number one calling before you set up a chair on Sunday, before you lead a worship song, or you teach in a Sunday school class, or you help in the, in the bookstore, or you share your faith with your friends at work, or you do anything else for the Lord, your number one ministry is to minister to the Lord. And you know what? If you minister to the Lord, you're going to do all that other stuff. Amen? Because when you're in love with Him and you're spending time in His presence, you can't help but do all the other things that we talked about. You automatically do it. Verse 36, The Lord commanded this to be given to them by the children of Israel on the day that He anointed them by the statute forever throughout their generations. So the day He anointed them, God had already provided for them. What does that sound like? Where God guides, God provides. Amen? If God is, call, is providing for, your, for ministry, then that's a way of knowing that God has called you to do it. I've, I've had friends that I know are called by God, but they're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And they try to do things, and it just, there's no provision there. And if God's not providing, God's not guiding. Amen? If you have to knock walls down to make it happen, then that's not the Lord. And then lastly, in verse, the last two verses, this is the law of the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the consecrations, and the sacrifice of the peace offering, which the Lord God commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day when he commanded the children of Israel to offer their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. The burnt offering is a picture of Christ's total dedication. The grain offering is a picture of Christ's sinless perfection. The sin and trespass offering is a picture of his work of redemption upon the cross. The peace offering, or the fellowship offering, is the result that you and I can now have intimate fellowship with him. And it's interesting that this all happened to Mount Sinai. What does Sinai mean? Who knows? What does Sinai mean? Anybody know? It means sin. So he went up the mountain of sin, and they were living in the wilderness of sin, and God gave them the sacrifices there that there might be restoration between sinful man and holy God. You've got to love the Bible. It all fits perfect. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the, the sacrifices that were made that just so, point so clearly to the Son. And we thank you for the ultimate sacrifice, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us that you paid the price, that we don't have to slaughter bulls or lambs anymore, but Lord, that you said it is finished on the cross, and now we can enter into that fellowship with you and know you in an intimate and a personal way. And Lord, it's just as simply us coming with repentant hearts and asking you to forgive us for our sin, and then you bring that restoration. Lord, I just pray if there's anybody here tonight that's not walking with you right now, that Lord, they would know that while you can take a million steps away from God, it really is only one step back. Lord, I just pray that tonight they would take that step. And Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, Lord, just open their eyes to know that you have paid the price for them, that you love them so very much. We thank you and praise you for your word. And I just thank you for each person who's here tonight. Just bless them. Father, help them to walk uh, more closely to you, Lord, to minister to you that they might minister for you. We ask these things in your holy and precious name we pray. And all God's people said, everybody stand up and we'll close the worship song.